The book of Galatians has historically had such a tremendous influence on the church. It was the book that the that Martin Luther was studying when he had his revolutionary change of heart that eventually led to the Protestant Reformation. It's also a book that has impacted so many, many Christians across the years. I want to I want to preach on one word this morning. The first word in the book of Galatians is the word Paul. Paul. Now it's important for us to understand that word because he's the one who wrote this letter. And uh, I want to just tell you, uh, if we could go back in time for a little bit and kind of use your imagination. I've done this this week. I've tried to imagine how I would have felt if I had been the Apostle Paul at the time he wrote this letter. But in order to get the full understanding of it, I had to go back and back. About the time that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, another little Jewish baby was born up in Tarsus, which was uh, in modern-day Turkey. And uh, he was born to parents who were Roman citizens. And so he was born as a Roman citizen, and yet he was a devout Jew. He was raised in the Jewish home, and they taught him early, early in his life the importance of keeping the law. He probably went to synagogue school as a child, and in doing so, he would have memorized the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. He memorized them word for word in Hebrew. He also spoke Latin, and he also spoke Greek, and he spoke Hebrew, and he probably spoke Aramaic as well. So he was a brilliant student. And by the time he was 10 or 12 years old, he had mastered much of the law, and he had this ambition, this desire to one day be a, a master of the law. Now, I'm not talking about law like lawyers. I'm talking about the law of God. And he wanted to be perfect. He wanted to live a perfect life and keep the law in every way, but he had a problem. He didn't understand exactly what that problem was, but his problem was that when he wanted to do good, he sometimes would do bad. And then he would feel so ashamed and so guilty. Hey, Eric, I just now saw you there. Wow, great. Uh, and, so, and he had another problem that when he didn't want to do the wrong things, sometimes he would mess up and do the wrong thing. And he had this uh, horrible conscience problem. And yet he tried harder. And every time he would fail, he would just say, I'm going to double down. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to keep the law. And he tried as hard as he could. As a matter of fact, when he got to a certain age, he actually was sent to Jerusalem. And he studied under the most prominent teacher of his day, a man named Gamaliel. And he studied and studied and wanted so much to just 
keep the law. He hoped someday to be a rabbi and maybe even a member of the Sanhedrin. That was his desire, his ambition, his plan. He also longed for a day that the Messiah of Israel would come. And he said, he had this picture in his mind that when the Messiah comes, he will help us defeat the Romans. He will help restore Israel to its nation, national status. And he will become the king. And Israel will again be the treasure of the nations. So that's what he longed for, he lived for. But personally, what he wanted more than anything was to be absolutely perfect in keeping the law. And he tried. Oh, he tried so hard. Just like Martin Luther did many centuries later. And then one day, he heard that there were a group of people who were claiming that the Messiah had come. And that the Messiah had been nailed to a cross and then raised from the dead. And that that Messiah was saying that you don't have to keep the law in order to be right with God. That he himself kept the law perfectly and that he took the sins of all lawbreakers and he paid for those sins when he died on the cross and then when he rose from the dead, it was God's vindication and evidence that the payment had been fully accepted. And now people could be right with God by believing that Jesus had taken their sin and paid the debt for it. And you would think that when Paul heard that message, he would have said, Wow! That's great! That's not what he said. He said, That's blasphemy! That's horrible. These people claiming that in order to be right with God, you can believe in somebody else's righteousness and it be counted to you, that's ridiculous. And so he became the most ardent enemy of everybody who believed that way. As a matter of fact, he was actually present the day that the first martyr of the Christian faith was put to death. His name was Stephen. And Stephen had been preaching that this, this, that message that I've just talked about, that, that it's by faith in Christ that we could be forgiven. And they dragged Stephen outside the city and they laid their clothes at the feet of Paul. Saul was his name at that time. And, uh, and they stoned Stephen. Now, I've read that the clothes were always laid at the feet of the one who had brought the charge, the chief prosecutor. If that's true, then Saul was the one who had actually accused Stephen 
of blasphemy and had caused him to be pelted with stones until he died. But as Stephen was dying, he looked up and he said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, welcoming me into his presence. And then he looked at the crowd and possibly locked eyes with Saul and said, Father, forgive them for what they're doing to me. Do not lay this sin to their charge. And then he died. And Saul saw that. And it must have had a mixed reaction in his heart. He thought, how dare he teach such things? But then he must have thought, how could he die with such grace, with such assurance? How could he say, I, I see heaven and I know I'm going there? And how could he look at me, my, his chief accuser, and say, don't lay this sin to his charge? And that had to have troubled him. The Bible doesn't tell us how he reacted to it, but I think we have a general idea. And it actually intensified his desire to persecute Christians. And the Bible says he was going into houses and bringing people, men, women, and children, and dragging them and putting them into prison. He was filled with rage. And then word came to him that up in Damascus, about 130 miles to the north, there were a group of these people called followers of the way. Later they came to be called Christians and they were gathering up there and they were spreading this good news, they called it, about how you could have salvation through the righteousness of their Messiah who died and rose again. And he said, I must, I must go to Damascus. I must go and put a stop to this. I'll go up there and I'll do up there what I've done here in Jerusalem. And so he went to the high priest and he got letters of authority and he started off for Damascus. The Bible says he was breathing out threats. He was so angry and he thought, I, I can't wait till I get there. I will arrest them. I will, I will put them to death just like we did Stephen. And... As he drew near to Damascus, with all this rage and guilt and shame and fear and maybe a dozen other emotions, suddenly a bright light shone all around him. And he heard a voice, and the voice said, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And Saul fell to the ground and he said, Lord, who, who are you? Who is this? Who's talking to me? And the voice came back and said, 
I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And suddenly, he was blind. He totally opened his eyes. He couldn't see anything. The people that were traveling with him, they said they saw the light, but they, they didn't see anybody. They didn't hear the voice. And Jesus told him, go into the city. Go on into Damascus where you're going. Go to a street called Straight Street. And it'll be told to you what to do. And so he went on into the city. Had to be led. His, the people had to lead him. And they said, where, where are we going? He said, go into a street that's called Straight Street. And they took him and, and he couldn't see anything. And for a couple of days, he was just helpless, blind, helpless. And then a man came to see him, a man named Ananias, who had been instructed by the Spirit of God. And he came to him. It's amazing. He said, Brother Saul, God has sent me to tell you what you're to do. And he said, I've come to tell you that, the, that Jesus himself has chosen you to be his ambassador, his sent one, his apostle. It's kind of strange because according to the New Testament, in order to be an apostle, that's different from a disciple. There were lots of disciples, but there were only a hand-picked few of people who actually had the authority of Jesus. Authority to even write down what would become Holy Scripture. But they said in order to be an apostle, you had to be, you had to have known Jesus in the flesh, personally, and that you had to have been a witness to the resurrection and that you had to be personally appointed by Jesus to be an apostle. So you say, well, Paul must have thought, how could I, how could I ever meet that? I, I didn't know Jesus in the flesh. And I wasn't with them from the beginning. But I have been personally designated by Jesus to be an apostle. And Ananias told Saul, this is what Jesus has told me to tell you. And instantly, the scales, the blindness fell from his eyes. He was able to see. He was baptized as a believer in Jesus. And he began to preach Jesus there in Damascus. The city he had gone to to arrest Christians, he begins to tell people about Jesus. and begins to say to them, yes, I, I tried all these years to be right with God. I, I tried to keep the law, but I couldn't keep the law. And I've discovered that Jesus kept the law for me 
And then he died for my sins. And and I've trusted in him. And now I'm a believer, a follower of Jesus. And the people that he had gone to work with to arrest Christians turned against him. And they said, we thought you'd come up here to help us put an end to this Christian stuff. And now you're claiming you're a Christian. And they were going to kill him. They actually surrounded the house where he was. They were going to break in and kill him. And, and here the great Rabbi Saul has to get in a basket. And they have to let him down through the window outside the wall. And here he is sitting in a basket being lowered down the wall. Must have been kind of humbling maybe fearful too. And then he leaves and he goes into Arabia, out into the desert area, and for three years, nobody hears from him. He's just there studying the Old Testament. That's all he had because he hadn't written the New Testament yet. And he's studying the Bible and as he looks through it, he says, Even here in Genesis chapter 3, it says that God's going to send a Messiah who will die. He will have his heel wounded with a lethal bite, but in doing so, he'll crush the head of the serpent. And he goes on through it. He sees all the sacrifices, and he says, the the lamb that died, innocent lamb that died, that's like Jesus All the way through, he just studies and studies. And for three years, he had a seminary education with Jesus as his professor. (laughs) I'd be the best one, wouldn't it? And then, he goes down to Jerusalem. And he meets with the apostles. And they confirm that he is truly an apostle. And uh, and then he and Barnabas, I've left out part of the story because I'm, I'm looking at the clock, but <clears throat> he and Barnabas, God says, I want you to go and take this message to the people who are not Jewish. I want you to take the message to Gentile people. And they travel. They travel down to Cyprus and they travel on over to the continent and they move up. And finally, they come to three little towns in an area called Galatia. And we read about this in uh, Acts chapter 14. In fact, Let me just read Acts chapter 14 to you. Now, with all this background that I've just told you, Saul has now begun to be called Paul, and uh, he and Barnabas are traveling together. They've preached in a few places, and now they come to a place called Iconium. There are three towns in Galatia, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. So let's follow Paul. This is kind of a diary of Paul's journey into Iconium. So 
uh, Acts chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. Now, at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue, and they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now, that's amazing. Now, he, he goes into this synagogue, and in the synagogues in those days, the Jews could come inside the synagogue, but the Greeks had to stand outside the synagogue, and Paul preaches Jesus, and as he does, some of the Jewish people say, we believe Jesus is our Messiah. And some of the Greeks, who weren't Jews, said, we believe What you said, we believe he died for us too, and that he rose again. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, and they bore witness to the word of his grace granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. And uh, some sided with the Jews, that is, some sided with the people who hated Paul and Barnabas, and some sided with the apostles. And then when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and they fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. So it's been kind of exciting. They go into Iconium, they they begin to preach, some people believe and they get excited and and, and then the You know, the gospel always divides. The truth always divides. People say, well, you know, the truth is what unites us. Yeah, but truth also divides us. And uh, and these people turn against Paul and and Barnabas, and they're going to take them out and kill them. And they find out about it, and so they, they take off. They leave town, and they go to the next town, which is called Lystra. And, uh... Very interesting event happened at Lystra. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from both uh, uh, from birth and had never had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, he said in a loud voice, "Stand up on your feet!" And the man sprang up and began walking. It's pretty fascinating, isn't it? This man's never walked before. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices in the Lyconian language, and they said, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Zeus. See, these people were all pagans. They were all... They were steeped in in Roman mythology, Greek mythology, and they called Barnabas Zeus, and they called Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought some oxen and garlands to the gates, and they were going to offer sacrifices with the crowds in honor 
of Paul and Barnabas. And when the apostles, Paul and Barnabas, saw this, heard it, they tore their garments and they rushed out into the crowd crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? Well, we're just men like you. We, we, we're just like you. And we bring you good news. We've come to preach the gospel to you, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, the one who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without a witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. He said there was a time when, when God has, I mean, God has blessed you all this time. You didn't even know who, who it was, but it was the God that I'm telling you about. And, and yet, I see, even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifices to them. Now, you'd think everything's going pretty good, but Jews came from Antioch and from Iconium, and having persuaded the crowd, they stoned Paul, and they dragged him out of the city, thinking that he was dead. They stoned him like they had stoned Stephen, and then they drug what they thought was his dead body outside the city, perhaps threw it into a ditch. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up. He, he woke up, and he went back into the city. I think he must have said, I didn't get my sermon finished. I was just on point two when they killed me. Now I've got to go back and finish. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby, And then in... When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, now they're backtracking, and to Iconium and to Antioch. Now, this is the story of how these Christians, these people in Galatia, heard about the gospel. They heard the good news and then they saw Paul be put to death, as far as they thought, and then God raised him up, not from the dead, but kept him alive. And he came back and preached with such enthusiasm, fervency. And these people loved Paul. They said, Paul, we've been slaves to sin, slaves to mythology, slaves to superstition. And we surely... We're headed for a dead-end life until you came and told us about Jesus. And they trusted Jesus, and they prayed. And Paul and Barnabas were there for several months, actually, because it tells us that they appointed elders in each of the churches and so forth. And then they made their way back to their starting place up in Antioch. And uh, Paul was... So thrilled, when he got back to Antioch, he told everybody there, i got to tell you what happened in Lystra. See this big old knot on my head? I got that in Lystra, you know? And, uh, but, but we had a lot of people came to Christ. 
A lot of people acknowledged Jesus as their Messiah. It was wonderful. And by the way, one fellow that got saved was a young boy named Timothy. And his mother and grandmother, they all came to faith in Christ on that. And so so they were just, Paul was so excited. What he didn't know was that after he left those cities, a group of a group of uh, enemies came into town right behind Paul and began to say to these people, where'd you hear this stuff about Jesus being the Messiah? And they said, oh, Paul told us. And they said, Paul, he's a, he's a phony. Paul, he's... We've had trouble with him everywhere we've been. You don't need to listen to him. I tell you what, you, he told you Gentiles that you could be right with God without becoming a Jew, without being circumcised, without going through the Jewish rituals. He told you that all you had to do was believe that Jesus died for your sins and trust him and you'd be right with God. They said, well, yeah, that, that's what he said. And they said, well, he, he lied to you. We know, we know all about him. He is, he's a joke. He's a phony. He's a charlatan. He's a trickster. He's leading you down the wrong path. And you, if you want to be right with God, you've got to keep the whole law. You men have got to, you've got to be circumcised. You, you, you've got to keep all the Jewish laws. You've got to eat the Jewish food. You've got to become devout Jews and try your best. There is no free anything. And these people were so confused, and some of them said, well, I guess, I guess that's what we need to do. And somebody heard what was going on, and they headed back to Antioch where Paul was and came in and said, Paul, you're not going to believe what's happened in Galatia. You know those, those towns where you got stoned, where they tried to kill you, where you preached your heart out, almost gave your life, and all those people came to know Jesus? They're turning away. From the true gospel. They, they've had some folks come in there. Tell them first of all. That you're a phony. That you're not an apostle. And they're, they're telling them. That what you told them. And called the gospel. That wasn't the gospel. That the real gospel. Is that if they would become Jewish. And submit themselves to the law. Then they could hope to be right with God. And Paul blew a gasket. He was mad as a wet hen. And he was shocked. And he thought about those precious people that he had poured his life into and had almost poured his life out for, 
and how they had gathered around him and told him how much they loved him. And, and they had even said, Paul, if we could, we'd gouge our eyes out and give them to you. And Paul must have had some kind of eye disease, some kind of problem with his eyes. And they said, we'd be glad to give you our eyes. We love you so much. And now they've turned against me. Now they're, they're believing that I'm a liar. And but worse than that, I mean, that's terrible that they don't like me anymore. But what's even worse is they're turning away from the gospel of the grace of God. And they're believing something that is going to lead them into slavery. Put them back into slavery. And he's stomping around and mad. I could imagine he would be. I've thought about this week how I would feel. If, If the people that I preached to in Bulgaria and came to Christ in Bulgaria and if I were to get word that first of all, they hated me now. That'd be sad. But then if they said, and we believe he taught us the wrong thing. He taught us that salvation was by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. And now these other people have come and told us that salvation is through these certain acts and these certain behaviors and these certain things. And so we're rejecting what Nick taught us. And we're believing what these people taught us. And we believe Nick is a jerk. I almost kicked my dog one time this week while I was walking thinking about that. I thought, well, that'd make me so mad. And I just kind of got into it, thinking how mad I'd be if that happened. And I said, I, I'd want to I'd send them a letter. That's exactly what Paul thought. And he, his eyes were, were bad. He couldn't actually sit down and write the letter himself, but he called a friend. He said, come here, take, take a letter. And he said... Started off this way. And let's go to Galatians chapter 1. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men or through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. That's where I have my authority. And all the brothers who are here with me to the churches of Galatia, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's as nice as he's going to get. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you 
and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now, that's what this letter is about. Paul writes this little short letter. It's not very long, actually. And you can tell as you read it, I just see him pacing back and forth. He's so mad, and he's just speaking. And I don't think he's aware that the Holy Spirit is actually speaking through him. The Spirit of God is writing Scripture. And Paul is the vessel through him he's writing it. And the Galatians are the ones who are receiving it. And turns out that folks in Glen Heights, Texas, are going to be receiving this same letter 2,000 years later. And he's saying to us, just like he said to them, listen, don't you let a bunch of phony enemies of the cross trick you into believing that there's any other way to be right with God except through Jesus who died for your sins. Now we're going to read this whole letter in the next few weeks and we're going to see that it is the greatest well second greatest letter explaining the gospel Romans is probably greater Galatians is the seedbed for the book of Romans. It's kind of the Reader's Digest version of the book of Romans. But he is going to explain to us why it's so important to know that he, the Paul, is an apostle and is able by Christ's appointment to actually write letters that will eventually become Holy Scripture. But more than that, he's wanting to say through this letter, it's just one gospel. And that gospel is the gospel of the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for sinners, rose again, and is coming back someday. And that by believing that gospel, you can be free. Some have called this the Magna Carta of the gospel. And he says in chapter 5, verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He does not want us to be enslaved to sin but he also doesn't want us to be enslaved to legalism. He wants us to be free from the penalty of sin, free from the power of sin, but also free from the law as a means of making us right with God. So as we study this letter in the next few weeks, we're going to hammer away on the things that he hammered away on. Now, I realize it's just introductory, but even in the introduction, I would just say to you today, if you are trying your best to live a good enough life that hopefully God will accept you when you die, I have some bad news for you, and I have some good news for you. The bad news is, You've already blown it.
The only way you could be good enough to go to heaven is to never, ever sin. And if you haven't already done it, you're going to, all right? But the truth is you've already done it. And if you could stop sinning today and never sin again, which you couldn't, you've already blown it. That's the bad news. You do not have a hope in the world of going to heaven and living with the holy God, trying your best. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. Somebody did live a perfect life. And he did everything that you haven't been able to do. He kept the law perfectly. And then, of his own willingness, he laid down his life for sinners. And he who knew no sin became sin for us. So that we could become the righteousness of God, which is in Christ. He made an amazing exchange. He said, I will take all your sin. You say, well, that's good. Now, if I don't have any sin, I can go to heaven. No, you don't go to heaven because you're innocent. You go to heaven because you're righteous. And even if he took all your sin away and left you just Innocent, you still couldn't go to heaven because you need righteousness. But Jesus said, I'll take all your sin and pay for it. And then I'll give you all of my righteousness and put it on your account so that when God looks at you, he sees not your righteousness, he sees my righteousness. And you're covered. Isn't that good news? That is great news. And if you've never... You say, well, well how did I get that? How, how did I get that? The same way Paul told the Galatians they got it. By believing that it's the truth. That Jesus died for me. Rose from the dead. And now says, I will give you my righteousness... For faith, If you trust me, the righteous live by faith, by faith alone. Have you done that? Oh, I hope you have. If you haven't, I pray that you will. And if you do, I pray you'll do it today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the great ministry of the Apostle Paul. I thank you for the powerful gospel that he preached, the one and only gospel. And I thank you for the book of Galatians. I pray that you'll help each of us today to want to be righteous. That's a, that's a, a, a noble desire. But I pray that you'll help us to know that in and of ourselves we can never be righteous that your word tells us that all of our righteousness in your sight are just like filthy, dirty rags. But there is a righteousness. 
thank you, Lord Jesus. There is a righteousness, your righteousness, that is perfect. And you are willing to take our sin and give us your righteousness by faith in you. And I pray that you will help us to trust you. In Jesus' name. you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.